Hey, this is Adam Green, creator of the Hatchet franchise and the TV show Holliston, and you are listening to Nightmare Junkhead. Out of your consciousness, like a bad dream you can't wake from, this is the Nightmare Junkhead Podcast, a horror podcast that appreci- appreciates anyone that feels that Stoll, Kansas is a worthy vacation destination. My name is Greg D. I'm Genius McGee. And on today's episode, we're closing out our celebration of some of our favorite Kansas City artists by bringing in one of the OG filmmakers to talk Lucio Fulci's City of the Living Dead. And whether or not you've opened a portal to hell, you can listen into our show. Simply search for Nightmare Junkhead wherever podcasts are played. Hit subscribe, and when we drop our latest episode, it will download directly to your listening device of choice. All up in your drill hole. And of course, you can find us drilling out on social media. We're on Twitter at Nightmare Junk and on Facebook at Nightmare Junkhead. And it is indeed on that book of face where we have an events tab, which leads to shenanigans and foggy shenanigans. And as this episode is releasing on Friday, April 29th, if you live in the Kansas City area, you can have your foggy shenanigans taken care of indoors. And virtually, especially virtually. Especially virtually at this point. And the Friday this is releasing, we will be full on. Full on panic mode. Panicking like crazy with this year's Panic Film Festival. And more importantly, on that Saturday, well, I should say we don't have a Friday Night Fright this week. No, but there's going to be a lot of good stuff for your genre fright needs taken care of. Oh, my goodness. Believe me. However, Saturday, 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 mark the time because it was at 5 o'clock, but now we've changed to 3.30. We are bringing back the Game of Games. Yes. It's going to be so much fun. We got the categories on lock. We got the questions on lock. We got everything on lock. And it's right after Surf 2. <laughs> yes, which it's right after Surf 2. Considering we haven't seen Surf 1, we're going to be lost. Right. As it turns out. <laughs> Perfect for trivia. But that being said, we are definitely going to be focusing, since uh, Panic Fest is celebrating their first 10 years, we're actually going to be looking at and testing your knowledge of horror films from the last 10 years. So it won't be like that one game of games where we had like a bunch of like high school girls in the audience and we were saying, okay, what 70s Italian horror film? And they're like, uh. Well, the worst part was we actually had a category called What the Buck and it was nothing. Nothing but Buck Flowers and they didn't know who the fuck Buck Flowers was. They had no clue what was going on. So I'd like to say. Why is this guy with the gravelly voice just cursing at all of us? We don't know shit, goddammit. This shit from Shinola. <laughs> well, I'd like to think we're we're getting down with the kids at this point. Right, right, right. And, and being pretty cool that Hello, way. Hello, fellow teens. <laughs> well, hopefully there is definitely something for you to, to, to take in during the Panic Film Fest. In fact, go back to last week's episode where we talked to Adam and Tim on that. Um, but more importantly. Importantly, of course, if you can't make it in person, mm-hmm. they have a variety of films that you can view virtually. And in fact, uh, if you uh, you know can't make it to Kansas City and Panic Fest and you would like to support from afar, definitely a couple ways you can do that. Uh, you can go to ScreenLandOnline.com where they have a variety of films that you can rent from them directly. Or you can become a member of ScreenLand's film family by going to Patreon.com slash ScreenLand where amongst their many tiers and perks, 
they have a little movie watch party that we participate in called the Shutter Shoutout. Mm-hmm. And in fact, this month's Shutter Shoutout is happening on that Saturday. So if you can't be at Panic Fest, you can be taking in two rockin' films off a of Shutter. Two heavy metal horror, yeah. Rocktober, Blood, and Black Roses. We are continuing the education of one genius McGee when it comes to heavy metal horror. Ah! A little sorcery action going on. All of a sudden, I was just waiting for Grant Page to just swoop in on, on like a dirigible or some shit. Hello, love. He could have taken care of Billy without yeah, a problem. He could have. Yeah, he could have. He's Grant Page. Now, of course, both of those films are streaming on Shutter. but by becoming a member of the Screenlands film family, you're going to have access to what Genius likes to call... The home game. The home edition. The home edition, where we put together a customized pre-show. Uh, we introduce the films, give a little context... We've got vintage trailer reels for each film, and of course, the post-film discussion where we try to process this. And in fact, at this point, we're going to be kind of uh, sore after all the moshing and everything mm-hmm. that's been done with both of those films. Death to false metal. <laughs> now, of course, genius. If we are talking film family and Patreon, the bellies. We of course have our own little freaky film family going on at Patreon as well, and we were lucky enough uh, here for our commentary for the month of April. Speaking of, again, the filmmakers here in Kansas City, we uh, did a uh, commentary for Jill Gavargazian's The Stylist. Mm-hmm. With Jill. As it turned out, with the goth gangster princess herself. Uh, so if you would like to have access to that and so much more. Head- I, I doubt it'll ever be on any DVD extras, any re-releases. You never know. You never know. That's why I always approach things professionally, just in case. Uh, but if that sounds like something you'd be into, uh, head on over to patreon.com slash nightmarejunkhead, where we do indeed have every tier from a squiddly diddly to another time. Another place. <laughs> and it's kind of perfect with this genius because it was so funny. And Into the Mouth of March Madness, we both mentioned that we're 300 episodes in mm-hmm. and we've never done a proper episode devoted to the thing. Right. And come to think of it, there's a number of films that... We really haven't devoted episodes to, and that's just because, you know, there's a lot of films out there. Mm -hmm. But what's horrible is the fact that we are so close to cinema history, especially here in the Kansas City area. A true Artur. Oh, and it's someone from the get-go, I think. We've mentioned we've got to have this individual on. but From, like, episode three. (laughs) Yes. now episode, like, 333. (laughs) But life happens, Mm -hmm. but thankfully, we were able to get him in. Now, that being said... You might know him if you're in the Kansas City filmmaking community. Is Number one, he's just one of the most genuinely good people we know. Absolutely. Number two. A lover of animals. Lover of animals. And number also could be a professor for the education of one genius McGee mm-hmm. when it comes to metal. But uh, if you go to the IMDb, and this is where we'll have to do a little fact checking here. It technically says his first directing credit was Blood of the Undead. And Blood of the Undead 2 back in 1985. Now, some of you might know him um, as uh, the man that gave us the werewolf romp that is Bone Hill Road. Most of you probably know him as the mad meteorologist that gave us Clownado. It's been way too long, but please welcome to Nightmare Junkhead for the first time, Todd Freaking Sheets. Hey, I'm here. I got to <laughs> add something, too. Uh, last night, I just took in a double feature of uh, Slaughterhouse Rock and Hard Rock Zombies. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, just released by Vinegar Syndrome, Beautiful Prince. And uh, wow, you talk about, there's nothing in the world that I can say to prepare you for Hard Rock Zombies. 
I don't even know what I watched. I know there was a Nazi grandma that turns into a werewolf. That's just the beginning. Okay. Yes. So when, when it blows your mind. Yeah. It's uh <laughs> it's saying a lot. And I hadn't seen it, you know, since the old VHS days. And it was like, man, it's great to see these again. It's cool because our friends over at Vinegar Syndrome and Synapse and all those guys, they're always putting out these amazing Severin Films does it too. Uh these these amazing old films that you thought were lost forever and all yeah. of a sudden Wow, it's on what? 4K? Are you kidding me? What the heck? And so it's really nice to see those. Uh, and I'm just getting a little plug there just because you guys mentioned the whole, you know, and, uh, and of course, John Michael Thor did those oh, yes. terrible, yeah. like, rock and roll nightmare and black. Oh, God, forget it. Just, but I don't even it's know. It's so funny. John Fasano really had his little thing going there in terms of heavy metal horror. But you mentioned Slaughterhouse Rock. Is that the one with Tony Basil? It is. Oh, oh Mickey, you're so fine. Let me get my chains on. Blow your mind. Hey, Mickey. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I remember seeing the trailer for that and going, wait a second. Are you kidding? And that being said, does it hold up? Oh, it's great. It's, it's actually a really, I, I think it's gorgeous to look at. I mean, they did a great job on it. It's a beautiful movie and uh, it's cheese, but it's, it's supposed to be. That was the time that it was made. You exactly. Know? exactly. Like 87 or whatever. So. That, that's why, like, you know, about people who are like, oh, well, this was so cheesy. And like, it's, it was the style of the times. It was the onion on the belt. It was like, let's make some fun shit. I'm the weird guy because I would rather watch those than I would Mandy. And I and everyone's like, Mandy's the modern rock and roll movie. I'm like, not not really. It just didn't. Parts of Mandy I loved. Other parts I was like, pretentious, man. Get on with the chainsaw duel. And when you pull out a chainsaw, use it, man. I don't know what was going on. I didn't see any gore. I was like, where's the saw, man? Where's the saw? <laughs> if I'd have had Nicolas Cage in a chainsaw, it would have been a river running red. You guys know. <laughs> right, it, right. right? It would have been like a, a an old like Shogun assassin. I mean, just where like there's just geysers blood, of blood flying yeah. everywhere. There would have been nothing. The entire town would be red when it was over. Those well, bikers would have a lot more to do. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, we are in the continued cagesance at this point. It so, is. Yeah, it's great. Given how much he does love to work, I. Would Mandy be, too. Yeah. Mandy. That's right. Let's yep. make it a bloodbath this yep. time, guys. I'm mm-hmm. ready. And if you're gonna do a movie like the other one, that the the other movie he did about the like the what was it Wonderland something Willie's oh, Wonderland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, I thought pretty cool, but it just wouldn't go far enough. Everyone's afraid to go so far nowadays. It's like we don't want to offend. That's oh, yeah. what a movie like that's supposed to do, guys. Big surprise. Give me Willie's Wonderland and give me that budget and give me Nick Cage, and I promise you, again. No one would be dry walking out of it. Right. You would feel it coming out of the screen. It would be, It'd be a Gallagher show. <laughs> it would. It, we'd even probably try that locally. You know we would. Everybody better get some plastic. Right. We, we, could, make, we could make it happen. We could do the bells and whistles. We could get, like, you know, uh, hoses with blood it's and every time. now and then. It's like The whole William Castle will make it the Todd Sheets experience. Right. Only it doesn't have to be blood. It just could be water. That doesn't hurt anything. But when it's, you know, we could throw some red lights on it. Boom, it's blood. That's all. We need. Mm-hmm. So. That's why you need the filmmakers, just a little bit of creativity there. You can make a, go a long way. <laughs> well, definitely, before we get started, uh, tell our listeners, where can they find you out on the social medias? Uh, please plug and promote away. Well, it's easy. I, now, I'm not on all of them. I, I'm guilty because who has time, right? I really don't. Yeah. I, I'm too busy making stuff. I don't really have time to go out there and just monitor all that. It's so horrifying. I've got a Twitter, The Real Todd Sheets. I've got Facebook, two of them. Uh, Todd Sheets on there. Uh, both of those, you can tell it's me uh, easily. One of them, I'm with Fred Olin Ray, one of my favorite directors, and his son Chris. And uh, the other one, I'm with my dog, so you can't miss them. And then uh, also zombiebloodbath.com, of course. Getting ready to revamp that. It's been a while. Um, there's been so many projects we need to list on there. But we've been really busy because uh, 
in addition to like the horror stuff, this last uh, pretty much two years has been devoted to doing a television series for Amazon Prime. It's an Amazon original. Nice. Oh, that's very a, cool. It's an action series based on something from the 70s. I can't give too much away yet, but you guys are breaking the news right here. It is an action series, and uh, Fred Olin Ray is involved. He's the executive producer. He helped write part of it, and uh, he gave me this incredible gift. He said, this is in your wheelhouse, because he knows how much I love this stuff from the 70s. This mm-hmm. is like cult cinema kind of stuff. Yeah. And we've turned it into a TV series with Roger Corman's blessing, and we're moving on it. So, nice. yeah, it's going to blow some minds. That's fantastic. And you know what? 70s like genre is right up reality because you've had extensive work with the man himself, Dolomite. I had, Ray yeah, Moore. I did. I did. And uh, my, uh, my other mentor was uh, David Dakota from the 80s. And, you know, he oh, worked yeah. with Corman in the late 70s and things. And then he branched out on his own, did all those great, like, crazy movies. And, you know, between Fred and Dave, they kind of had the market. And then my other buddy, Charlie Band, those three in a row – we're kind of like the late 70s into the 80s. That's what kept horror alive in a lot of ways and brought in. There wouldn't even be the term Scream Queen if it wasn't for those guys. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And that's one thing I like about like everything that you're doing. You're you're bringing that old school flavor back. I never lost it. It's uh, right. That's all I know. You know, right. I was raised horror in a has lost it. Yeah. And yeah, you're it bringing has. it back. Yeah. Yeah. Horror has been interesting. I One of the things I love about horror is the fact that there are so many subgenres and so many offshoots. It's always kind of been that way. Like you've always had these different like serious horror and then like you had Rosemary's Baby and then you'd have The Exorcist but then you'd also have like Werewolves on Wheels and they're all playing <laughs> at the drive-in at the same time and that's what I loved about it and they're, it's kind of the same today in a lot of ways I think a lot of people got to the point where they're tired of homogenized like Hereditary is a cool movie but man how many of those do I want to see I want to see that but then I want to see like something like you know the Nick Cage stuff we talked about like Mandy and things like that I enjoyed Mandy I just didn't I was just a little disappointed because I felt like God this promises to be a grindhouse flick and it's not it's not there um you know and i feel like there's a lot of uh potential with a lot of these films and like i said earlier i think people are just afraid to offend everyone in this day and age but you know what to me if a horror film doesn't offend somebody it's not really a horror film yeah you know right now speaking of modern takes uh what would you think and like modern trying to be grindhouse this neo grindhouse i should say did you see x I loved it. I thought, but of course, I love Ty West. I think mm. Ty West is one of us. He's one of the original. I mean, he was raised at the same time I was raised, going to drive-ins and indoor crazy grindhousey movie theaters, and because we had our own grindhouse right here in KC, the Empire Theater. It was a grindhouse for a long time, man. It was like you could go down there and buy what they call a day pass. You get like four to six different movies, right? And they'd be everything under the sun blazing stewardesses chatterbox then you'd have fulci city of the living dead which we're going to talk about and you'd have argento and you'd have meat cleaver massacre or you'd have all mardi gras massacre it was always something if it had massacre in it it's playing at the empire theater <laughs> where was the empire located yeah uh, exactly where it's at now right downtown uh, it, it turned into the alamo draft house oh really i didn't even know that yeah yeah that became the alamo draft house for a short time and i was always bugging them i was like guys this has a history of what oh. you love. How come we got Black Belt Jones down in Austin, Texas, but you won't you won't bring him here? Yeah, Jim Kelly is Black Belt Jones. Yeah. Bring him in, and uh, you know all these guys that they they brought down there. But because the, down there they had the, and those guys are amazing down there. You know, mm. uh, the, some of the guys do Bleeding Skull and stuff like that. And I'm like, look, man, these guys, Joe and everybody, they're good people. And as a matter of fact, it's weird because I walked into an Alamo Draft House in a different city, and there's a poster of Moonchild in the bathroom. Which is like, I'm going, hold on, that's, that's 
that's my movie. It's, yeah. in, it's in an Alamo draft house bathroom. What is going on? And then eventually they put it into the one here in Kansas City, which blew my mind. I was like, this is so weird to walk in and find posters of my films and stuff. But that's because they embrace genres, right? Mm-hmm. And when I first started, man, back in the day, I was told you cannot make movies in Kansas City. And every time we bring the cameras out, someone would call the police. True story. Like, we would have all these huge movie cameras. We'd have all these extras. We're, like, in the back alley of this place filming a fight scene. Suddenly, the cops show up. And they're like, you guys obviously aren't breaking in this building. I said, yes, we are. We're just documenting it all on video. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, what? but people in Kansas City were just so strange about it there was no way you could make a film here and if we did then we must be making porno it doesn't matter the fact that in la they're making porno for 25 cents why would i be doing it here i was just like well i don't really understand why i've got all this negative stuff going on and i'm like you know what this is just a weird feeling and so we did it anyway we were told you can't and we said okay let's do it and it wasn't easy uh it was a a living nightmare for years and years and no one was doing it and uh, we were kind of opening new doors in a lot of ways back then even yeah. for ourselves you know every time we would try to do something and and then uh but those early movies are terrible i mean we we didn't really know what we were doing because we were just kids and we mm-hmm. back then you didn't have the internet you didn't have anyone you could go to and say hey man i want you guys to like teach me how to do this and you you know you you had some a few books not like now i mean there's five million books a couple of books that saved my life was film directing shot by shot and um uh, Painting with Shadow and Light, you know, those by John Alton. Those two books were so amazing for me, but I didn't get them right away. I got them later because I, no one had them. Mm-hmm. And so finally I was able to order them from Walden Books, uh, you oh, know. Yes. Back, and so, <laughs> th- but th- I got serious. All of it was just fun and games with me and my friends. And we got serious really on Zombie Bloodbath. So I consider that my first real feature from 93. Now, we'd made movies for 10 years up to then. They were either shorts or features. My first full feature was in 1988, and it got finished in 89, and it about killed all of us. Um, But I tried to do everything by the book, and I learned you just can't do that in this town. But that's a a crazy, horrifying story. One day you'll bring me back, and I'll tell you, because it would take up the the night. It'd take an hour, let me tell you. But... Let me let me just tell you, it was a living nightmare in every every way it could possibly be, and then we did it. And so my first four films, I went to David Dakota, and I'm like, "Look, man, you're putting out these movies. Please check out my movies. I I, I do have a lot of gore, and I've got these. I think our movies are at least on par with these ones." So he put them out. You know, he he thought, "Hey, he saw a spark of something there." Mm-hmm. I thank God for him. God bless mm-hmm. his soul, because I don't now looking at him, I don't see a spark of anything, but maybe a toilet seat. <laughs> so I'm going, you know, there's a sparkle of toilet paper in there, but I don't see. But now, you know, looking back, I, I do see. You know, the short films were pretty good that we did as kids, but the features, you know, I've, I kind of I caught a lot of hell. I got a guy telling me one time, "If you pick up a camera again, I'm going to come and find your mother and kill her." And, God I mean, damn. And Kansas City. <laughs> was the worst i mean local people here were just so hard on us because they weren't hollywood movies as a matter of fact they weren't worth a damn in a lot of ways but it was a start and um and i'm you know i have no ego back then i got a little ego because here's why everyone told me no i couldn't do it and then i had five movies that were getting international distribution yeah. they sucked but i suddenly had movies in every video store in the country rent track we were in the top 10 of rent track at the time and rent track was what supplied the mom and pops and they did like grocery stores and pharmacies yeah. and so suddenly i got a little i admit it i was like a little bit i turned into a little monster for about a year <laughs> then i read the reviews and that went away quickly <laughs> because i was like yes i'm great but i suck really bad so that's how it that's about how fast it was so um but i think it was just more of a pride thing because we we 
no one knows what we went through. And so my ego got a little, but then I got slapped down and I've never had one since because I hate ego. I just hate it. It, it ruins the, the process. Uh, everyone's so full of their own bullshit that they can't get out there and make a, a fun movie anymore. It's all got to be a message or, you know, it's all this bulls. It, it's too artistic. It's this, it's that, it's this. And I'm like, look, man, I love art. I love like you mentioned the stylist. God, what a gorgeous movie, right? Jill and I were friends. I think that movie was fucking amazing. And, but we're two different filmmakers Mm -hmm. because Jill has got this incredibly cool, polished, almost what I love about her stuff is it's artsy without being ridiculous. Right. (laughs) Um, it's not artsy for artsy sake. It's beautiful to look at because that's her aesthetic. Um, because she was brought up on films like that and, you know, things like the Babadook and things that look beautiful and have a slow burn to them. And I think that's fantastic. I was brought up in the drive-in, man. I was there every weekend. They had so many in Kansas city. I was down on film row. One of my mentors is John ship. He controlled all the drive-ins here in Kansas city. Um, and I was part of that group. And so, yeah, man, I want to see jailbait babysitter or something you know, <laughs> not not because i'm a freak but because those movies had like this something to them like this energy and this Grit. weird yeah, yeah. they're just so fun and herschel gordon lewis you know yeah. an old friend of mine uh he he brought out the gore film with blood feast and all those and the terribly made in a lot of ways but also so innovative in other mm-hmm. ways and so i just you know i love the fact that jill makes movies that are not pretentious but still beautiful and i want to make movies that are like taking people back to the grindhouse but i want to do it in a modern way like final caller you know we did final caller it's our most recent actual horror film and we did that right as the pandemic hit right in the middle of it and um it's gorgeous to look at i think we've we've really because i want my movies to look great i want the lighting to be but instead of looking like maybe something from the what is it a24 studios you know Mm -hmm. i'd rather look like carpenter or like Mm -hmm. fulci or argento that the old school argento not the modern stuff where you've got that kind of lighting and you've got those aesthetics it looks beautiful but it's also still a grindhouse movie it still gives you the goods it delivers the groceries and that's kind of what we're trying to do you know we're trying to man let's just give audiences what they what they don't have anymore yeah. and uh, do it with passion and with pride and with love. Don't, you know, cause we don't, we've, I've still never taken a salary my entire career just because I want to put every dime I have into the movie and we never have enough. You know, yeah. we're making a damn werewolf epic on $13,000 that mm-hmm. should have cost 150, you know, yeah. it was crazy. But also you can see what you're talking about in your style, especially with a movie like Dreaming Purple Neon, the use of color. Mm. Also very Argento because you have those bright neon colors mixed in with some horrific graphic (laughs) shit. That movie's over the edge, yeah. That was, a matter of fact, that was what happened was I had a heart attack in 2012. I had quadruple bypass surgery and I almost died. Um, I was in the hospital for 31 days and I ended up having to have a second surgery, like laparoscopic. That one was supposed to be like, three, four hours or whatever. I ended up, or no, like 20 minutes. It ended up being four and a half hours. Oh. And I, I had an NDE. I didn't even believe in this stuff. I had a near-death experience. I saw weird stuff. I'm like, is it the drugs? I don't know, but I never want to see that again. <laughs> so I get out. Of, I remember waking up during it and seeing myself in that, that big thing that's above you with the mirrored ball in the middle and all the lights, that big light that they use when they're doing surgery. And I remember seeing myself reflected in that, my chest wide open, uh, because they had to bring me out of the anesthetic because I was under too long. Oh, oh God. God. And, oh, uh, God. <laughs> it was uh, horrific, and 
it was sobering, and I didn't think I was ever going to really recover. I thought I was going to die in the hospital. So after you're in there 31 days, no sunshine or anything, you start feeling. They did sneak my dog in twice, which I have to say. Nice. Because we were both getting, not going to get better if they didn't. Yeah. And my dog was really depressed. Oh. And so the, my nurse was awesome. They snuck my dog in. So um, <laughs> so <laughs> what happened was House of Forbidden Secrets was my comeback film. I hadn't made a movie in a while. My friend Dennis was killed at the catacombs. He was just brutally killed in the elevator shaft. And I held him uh, while he was dying, and, and I, I just didn't want to ever make movies again. I just lost everything because he was one of my very close friends. He, he and I know each other since childhood. And my offices and everything were at catacombs on the sixth floor and everything, and everything was tied into that. And I just was like, you know, I can't, I can't do this anymore. And so I kind of backed away, and I was doing the radio thing, and I was, doing, I was touring with my band a little bit, opening for like iced tea and stuff and doing different things. And I was like, you know, I just don't think I can – do movies i just love them though it's my passion but when i had that heart attack it really kicked me into gear because i was like look that's the thing i love most that's my first love and i've let myself be taken away from that and then they really when they say your life flashes before your eyes it really does so it changed me in a lot of ways it, it made me very humble it made me so happy to be alive and it made me realize i'm never going to do these kind of things anymore in my life but i am going to do this i'm getting back to what i love i'm going to make movies my first movie back was house of forbidden secrets and i gave you a copy of that and there's like two versions of the movie but there's also a documentary on there they did while we were filming it mm -hmm. a couple of students followed me around it not only shows the behind the scenes of house of forbidden secrets it's kind of an overview of my whole career and there's footage in there for me in the hospital and stuff wow and from fans around the world that were sending me messages on youtube and that's when they started my fan club i didn't start that it's on uh, facebook couple of cool guys matt uh hill and uh and uh, thomas burdinsky i'm and, a member are you yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah those, brandon bennett those guys started that for me uh and i didn't even know about it and they and so i found out while i was in the hospital and all these people were pouring out to me and uh, there's people crying on there and it's amazing so we put some of those on there it's a really cool really awesome uh behind the scenes documentary thing so you'll enjoy that on there and it'll give you kind of an idea of my career also because you'll get to see firsthand mm -hmm. some of this stuff but after i did that people i really wanted to show people i'd learned a lot as a filmmaker so we had crane shots and dolly shots mm -hmm. and beautiful composition and we really worked our butts off on we had a decent budget <clears throat> and we had all these great people lou temple came in my friend lou uh, he had survived leukemia, and I did the heart thing, and we had a bond, mm. and uh, brought in Lloyd Kaufman, and of course, tons and tons. Ilsa, she went for the SS herself, Diane Thorne's in that, <laughs> and her husband, Howard, Howard Maurer. I had everybody. I even had my good friend, uh, <coughs> if you've seen Troll 2, George Hardy, uh, he's he's in there. So all these people are in there. <laughs> I was like, I'm doing it right. Yeah. And we kind of toned the gore down a little. So the movie comes out, and there's like, man, this ain't the Todd Sheets we know, man. There's not enough gore. I said, oh, Yeah. Let me show you Dreaming Purple Neon. Yeah. <laughs> that movie is gory as shit. I was like, let me show you. So we took it so far over the top, you know, <coughs> pardon me, allergies. Every movie we make, I try to do different. So Bone Hill Road has a whole different aesthetic than Clownado, which, what a goofy idea that was. <laughs> and that looks different than Final Caller. That looks different than House of Forbidden Secrets. Like, yeah. Bone Hill Road is... Mm -hmm. A werewolf movie, but it's also got other twists, and it's also about a mother-daughter relationship, and it's all this stuff. So it's every movie's different, and if you go to the old school stuff, my favorite was always Violent New Breed because Violent New Breed had a uh, we had Rudy Ray Moore in that, you know? yeah. Plus we had uh, people blowing up, we had fire stunts, we did all this stuff, stuff that no one was doing on that budget, believe me. So 
it's like, I guess it just depends on the era. Mm-hmm. I can't, it's hard to answer that because every movie you make is like a child that you create. Yeah. Who do you love more? You love them all the same, but they all have different qualities. So I would say if it's something like more mainstream, maybe start with Final Caller. It looks beautiful, uh, and there's a lot of great effects in it. We spent time. We made it look beautiful. You know, did the best we could because it's, if you don't have money, you got time. And there's no reason not to learn something. Because if I, if I do a film, if I'm on the set that day and I don't learn something that day on the set, I've done something wrong. Every project is a learning experience. Every day on the set is some new learning thing that you can, you can take home with you. Yeah. And if you don't do that, then uh, obviously you're, you're wasting that potential. You know, you have to get in there and learn something new. Because you can, well, Steven Spielberg, he says it too. How long have I been in the business? How many awards have I won? I just learned something new today on the set. If you don't, it's a waste. I mean, you, you can't, you got to be open. You got to be like a sponge. Just mm-hmm. take it all in. Throw your ego, drop it at the stairs, you know, get rid of it. Go in there and learn from each other. Create together. Make art together. So that's, I would say, Final Caller for more mainstream, kind of something more modern. But uh, I do have a soft spot in my heart for uh, Dreaming Purple Neon and for House of Written Secrets because... That was my big comeback. I mean, that was my statement. I didn't die. That yeah. was my statement. There, you know? <laughs> I'm back, bitches. <laughs> I didn't die, and I'm going to work with all these cool people. So that's mm-hmm. what I did. You know. Well, speaking of working with cool people, I have to thank you from the bottom of my heart to allowing me to get hit with a bottle and yelled at by lovely Linnea Quigley. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Linnea is a sweetheart. <laughs> well, and you've been you've been so lucky to collaborate with so many people. And I think a lot of it is to do with the fact that you're genuine and people like working with you. And there's, I mean, you've kind of even put together like the Todd Sheets players in a lot of ways with some of the local talent here. It's true. Yeah. Um, speak to, can you speak to like how you started working with some of the local people here, like cast, crew, and so forth? Well, basically, you just do, you know, you do auditions, you, you meet people, and sometimes it just works. And uh, you guys have mutual respect, you have the same ideology. If people are coming in going, yeah, I need a paycheck. Well, there's a door <laughs> because I don't get one either. Right. Uh, you know, eventually maybe we will. That would be great. I mean, we could have a, you know, Clownado was a pretty good breakthrough. Bone Hill Road for us was so important because <clears throat> Walmart looked at Bone Hill Road and says, we want Bone Hill Road. Uh, they took like somewhere in the neighborhood of 15,000 copies of Bone Hill Road. Oh, wow. And then they took more. <laughs> so... The cover was a, a black. Bone Hill Road is one of my personal favorites because I love werewolves. And I wanted to make a werewolf movie where the werewolves looked great. And I think they do look great. We had some great uh, technicians involved uh, that created those werewolves. Even a couple of those heads came from over in London with a guy who worked on American Werewolf in London. Nice. Oh, wow. <clears throat> and he's amazing. So I wanted it to be werewolves, not, not you know, I don't want it to look like, this new modern thing. I want it to look like the howling, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I love Bone Hill Road. I love the chemistry between the mother and daughter. My only complaint is the mother's bruises move around and people rip me up over that. Can't even have Bruce. enough talent to get the bruise in the say. And I'm like, listen, we shot that 
in the most grueling conditions over weeks and weeks and weeks. And we only shot two, three days a week because everyone had jobs. Mm -hmm. And the makeup department was inconsistent because it was different makeup artists. Even though they took pictures, they tried. Mm-hmm. It's hard, man. It's hard. And so if the, if that's your only complaint is some yeah. bruises, right? Geez, get it. And so one other person's complaint was something to do with a flashlight. I was like, get out of here. Go home. <laughs> you fucking make a movie. <clears throat> yeah, you you try this insane on thirteen grand, and you got five full werewolf suits in there that you have to deal with. Which that's where all of our money went. And and then Linnea, you know, getting Linnea here and having her in the movie, and and that was my first time I got to actually work with. I'd known Linnea for twenty years, and. um we've been friends for a long time. So I, you know, I really appreciate what you said about that too, because I've been friends with so many of these guys since the old days when I went out to LA with Dakota and I was making terrible movies, but I met so many great people. And the thing was, they understood why I was making terrible movies. Unlike Kansas city who told me I was going to (laughs) die. Then the people in LA were like, Hey, you've got to start somewhere and we're going to help you. And they did help me Mm -hmm. and they embraced me. And I became friends with a lot of these people, um, People like Rolf Konefsky and, and Mick Garris and all those guys who, you know, you you talk to these guys and you learn more from them in one dinner than you learn in film school in a month. And that's the truth. And Jim Wynorski is a good pal of mine and all these guys. Man, these dudes, they saved me. They were my mentors. They brought me to L.A. and they taught me things. And eventually I got better because I was listening and I was reading. But um, <clears throat> I'm off track because that's what I do. <laughs> but I, uh, I, we're just going yeah, right along in the no, journey. This is nightmare junk and normal. So, <laughs> <laughs> but I, uh, but you know, yeah, going back to all that stuff, local talent. You know, you meet these wonderful people, and no one can make a movie without all these people. You know, it may say Todd Sheets is a director, but who the hell am I going to direct if I don't have people? <laughs> mm-hmm. And I never consider myself like if a movie's a hit, it's not my hit. Yeah, if, if you know, Bone Hill Road was a hit, Clownado was a hit. Hell, we were on Entertainment Tonight with Clownado. Not because of me, because of everyone there. Um, you, every single part, and I think you realize this when you're on my set, which is kind of relaxed, but also we get the job done because mm-hmm. we're moving fast because we have to have 50 setups in a night. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. You know, we're, we're sometimes more. Pow, 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 pow. <laughs> um, <clears throat> you know, I think you realize this. On my set, everyone is the king. There's no, I mean, I may be directing and I, and I'm the one that has the vision of what I need to do, but there's not a person on that set that's less important than anyone else. You know, you as an extra were just important to me as one of the leads because every person is bringing something to that project, um, bringing some kind of energy there. You know, before we got together, that never existed, man. It was an idea in my head. It was an idea on a piece of paper. It was a goofy title that one of my friends told me and said, I bet you can't make it. <laughs> Sometimes I wish I wouldn't have, uh, but I did. And uh, it turned out pretty good considering we had no money. And uh, so Clown Eater was born and you were there. And the whole reason it existed was because all these great people pulled together to create something new. It's a new life. It's just like a life. It's a cinematic life. And believe me when I say this, because some of those old movies from way back that I told you I disowned, they're still here and they won't go away. <laughs> and I'm trying. I've tried to buy them all and bury them, but it's just impossible. And now they're coming out on Blu-ray. So I'm like, you know what? I may as well just help out. Yeah, so what I did on those is I went back and I've been remastering those old things to make them better. Because if they're going to get out there anyway, I may as well do a better job and try to do what I always wanted now that I have the technology. Mm-hmm. But sidetrack again. But anyway, going back to the thing with local talent, I get these people in. We see eye to eye. 
they're not there for the wrong reasons. We're there to work together and create yeah. something cool. And let's do it again. We yeah. had a good time. Let's do it again. You know, let's see what you guys. Okay, you played a waitress in this one. Let's have you play this kung fu chick in this one or a nun. Let's have you do this. Let's have you do that. Because I don't want them to feel like they're not appreciated either. Mm-hmm. I want them to get more out of it, like grow as an actor or actress. Hey, man, I'm going to grow as a director thanks to you, and you're going to grow in this new part that you never thought you could play. Do it. I mean, I, I you know Antoine. Yeah. I made Antoine play a, a, a gay bouncer in a movie in the 90s. And he's like, how the hell am I going to play Gay Bouncer? I said, you're going to act because you're an actor. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, I've been fortunate enough to be on three different sets of yours. Either you're behind the camera or you're producing. And I can vouch. It's a very professional but fun. And it's you can feel the vibe that everybody wants to be there for the love of making a movie. It's like, let's put on a good show. And it shows i mean everybody's there no egos no like well i'll be in my trailer or like right. you know the trailer like, i wish i could buy one of those <laughs> right <laughs> i'm filming it and i guess everybody is just there for a good time to make a fun horror movie yeah that's it no know. pretensions right and in this case the new stuff a uh, fun action kind of weird wow wait till you see it it's I, you talk about something fred told me the other day he said the whole reason I wanted to do this with you is because it was in your wheelhouse and we've been friends a long time and I wanted to help you go to the next level. We've gone to the next level. I mean, I think Final Caller kind of took us to it. I think Bone Hill Road took us to it. Every movie we've been doing takes us a little, you know, you walk up the ladder. Mm-hmm. No one wants to fall down the ladder. You right. want to walk up it. So you try your best. Sometimes you fail. Uh, you know, sometimes you do great. Um, I believe this project, this uh, prime TV series, I believe that it really forced us and pushed us. And then with the pandemic and everything happening to us, it was the most difficult. And Kansas City weather put us nine weeks behind schedule because it wouldn't stop raining. Uh, It was nasty. I remember it being like June and 38 degrees outside. It was getting to that point where I was really starting to worry. And Mm -hmm. But it pushed us so hard. We pulled together. Thought we were going to kill each other a couple times, but we love each other. We're like family, like you said. And we said, you know, Let's make this happen. And you know what? This thing really has taken us to a different level. It's gorgeous. It's unbelievably gorgeous. And uh, it's also different. It's not It's not a horror thing. It's, mm-hmm. But it's also in our wheelhouse. So it's a cult kind of thing. So you'll, you'll when you watch it, you're going to go, all right, I see some, some top yeah. in here. <laughs> there it is. You'll, it'll pop out. <laughs> There's some juju going on. <laughs> well, obviously, your love of all this, your involvement in all of it, had to start from someplace and that is one question we like to ask any first time guest here is what is your horror origin you know i.e what was it that got you into horror that made you look at it and go you know what i can kind of maybe find a place here your crime alley all right i'm going to tell you this is and crime alley is a good thing uh it's a terrible thing but a good thing because it's right up my alley uh so for me personally i um i was kind of raised at the drive-in and um also, at the time, they had like these crazy, not Friday, Friday night came later, but in the early oh, days, yes. they had the Creature Freature with Uncle Ed. And that show introduced me to crazy movies, but it also on Saturday afternoons, they had these things. And on Channel 5, right before the news during the week, they had these like Godzilla week, Monster week. And so I got to see the Universal Monsters. And so at the drive-in every weekend, 
Sometimes it was junk. I didn't want to watch, you know, you know, the way we were. Who the hell wants to watch that? <laughs> but sometimes it was really cool stuff, you know, like Phantasm or Slithis or you know, whatever. So those were going on. The Universal Monsters became my good friends, and here's why. As a kid, my mom was trying to find her way. This was the 70s. She got married like five times, okay? Four times, and then back to my original dad five times. We're moving all the time, okay? From school to school to school. I'm the, I'm the weird, tall, skinny, geek nerd guy let's make fun of him i it was hard making friends when you moved all the time mm -hmm. batman was my hero i loved batman but also um <clears throat> my other friends were the universal monsters because i felt like man you know wolfman's not a bad guy he just got a crappy you know card drawn here you know he wasn't really a monster he was just had this affliction creature from black lagoon didn't do nothing nope. he's just no. swimming right he's just hanging around <laughs> all of a sudden these dudes are up in his grill up in his house chicks all like he's like hey i've never seen a girl before i kind of like that then he's like hey let me go talk to her boom he gets shot so creature was really i felt like man what a horrible thing they did to the poor creature and of course yeah. king kong same thing mm -hmm. king kong didn't ask to get shot it was just a, you know, those guys were these great monsters and they had great stories. And that's what brought me into it. And that's really ultimately, you know, I would have a bad day at school. I would have a horrible time I might, if my mom was getting a divorce or whatever, it'd be crappy around the house. Maybe in school you'd have this lot of conflict back then. I would go watch one of these movies, sit in this movie theater, the lights would go down and it'd just take me away for 90 minutes, two hours, you know. Like even Star Wars, of course, Star Wars changed how we all see movies, but <clears throat> it was an escape and it was fantasy world and it was crazy. And so when I got into filmmaking, the whole reason I wanted to do it was to tell stories and to give back. Mm -hmm. And maybe I could do that for another kid yep. who had a really crappy day and a really crummy home life or something really bad happened or he lost his best friend, which happened to me when I was nine from Rice Syndrome. My, my buddy David died. And I was like, gosh, you know, I would go to the movies, watch The Boy Who Cried a Werewolf or something, and, and and just take that away for a while. So that was my origin of getting into it and why I wanted to do it and why I loved it so much is because I was one of the famous Monsters kids, you know. Got to meet Forey. Got to go through oh, the Forey Acker Mansion. Checked out all that stuff. That was my world. I, I would write him letters. He would write me back. Dick Smith, all those guys. It was a different time. And a, it was the 70s and a different world. And... And things were not always great. And so it was really cool to be able to escape. And so that got me into horror. And it kept me there because I loved the stories and the fantastic. And then I went to the whole, you know, we're just going to, I was like Bart Simpson when I first started. We're just going to gross everybody out. Watch this. Hey, man, we're going to do it. But then, like now, I want to tell a good story. I still want to have the gore and I want to make my monster movies. But I wanted to have a good story. You know, that's one of the things I think is cool, so great about Final Caller and about this TV series. Man, the story, Bone Hill Road really got a great story about a mom and a daughter and the turmoil and abusive relationships. It was taken from, you know, when we write these movies, some of this stuff comes from us. Mm -hmm. You know, my mom was in abusive relationships. You know, I, I'm 15 years old or 14 years old and I'm breaking people's ribs with a guitar because they're beating up on my mom or whatever. So I had to escape from all that. And this is getting pretty real, I know, but it's truth. No, it's, yeah. No, it's, Boom. I mean, I'm, I have nothing to hide. I went and I went and watched The Wolfman or whatever. I, mm -hmm. I got away. Uh, Phantasm was great. I remember how I loved that so much. I saw it several times. American Werewolf in London, The Howling, all these movies, The Thing. 
these movies took me away from all the BS, you know, that I was living in. And uh, it made me feel a lot better. And when I'd leave there, I kind of left some of that there, Mm -hmm. you know. That's got to be a good feeling to know that out of all the movies that you put out somewhere, that there's a kid just like you. It's true. Now escaping because of what you put out. I get I get letters from all over the world. I get letters from Europe. I get letters from Japan. People telling me that, hey man, you know, my my dad was in a car wreck. Everything sucked. I caught Clownado and it made me laugh so hard. It was terrible, but it was so fun. Mm-hmm. And I was like, it was kind of meant to be terrible and fun, so I'm glad. Yeah. But uh when I when I read something like that, it makes all the BS I go through trying to make these things worthwhile. Yeah, you know, and some of the nasty negative people out there on the internet, everyone's a, a nightmare nowadays. There's so many, yeah. so many real. I mean, it's okay to dislike a movie and to say, "Hey, yeah, this movie sucked to me," but man, they get personal and attack people, and they were attacking Linnea Quigley. I had to take a guy to court. Seriously, true story. Ugh. I had to bring a guy to, to, to. We had to go to Platte County Courthouse. I had to bring this guy to Kansas City and sue his ass off because he just wouldn't leave people alone. Nobody alone. fucks with trash. <laughs> Nobody right. fucks with trash. That's right, man. Leave her alone. But not right? just her. He was attacking. He and he made it personal. He like threatened me in my emails and stuff. I was like, dude, you're going down. <sighs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> what a mess, right? Right. I, and then then I did that, and then there are all these other critics that are his friends are like. Yeah, you can't talk about Todd Sheets, man, because he's he can't take it. He can't. No, man, it was it was because you crossed the line and made it personal, and went into someone's home life. Exactly. God, guys. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's a nightmare nowadays, but it wasn't always that way, you know. Yeah. Well, and you you talk about it. You you formed a relationship with these characters and with these movies, and I think a lot of us do. Mm-hmm. And I even mentioned it before with my therapist. Like they ask, "What is my safe place?" And I tell them, "It's like me as a little kid in front of a TV." just bathed in light and that's where I'm that's where I feel safe. And I think many of us are in that kind of boat. Yeah. So you've you you talked about not having ego and I think it's because you've been egoless for the most part that people are drawn to this. People will continue to collaborate with you and God willing people will still be inspired and get some of that pain taken away based on the art that you're putting out, man. And I guess you know that doesn't come from or that wouldn't come from the without the fact that you had to go through some shit for it. And you could have not gone this way you know it could have ended up badly but here you are today and again we're waxing your car because it's well worth to be waxed man so (laughs) thank you thank you no legitimately thank you for doing what you've done yeah and just if anything also for you know genius to have you know those few moments on there go hey Linnea's hitting you listen I had a whole part for genius his couldn't do it because our schedules kept clashing and we had to keep moving the project and then Genius couldn't do it, but I I still have a dream of putting him in a movie. The full like I want him to play a main part in one of these movies. Uh, see, I'm ready. I, <laughs> I, I I'm so like ah yeah yeah yeah. Ready for your close up genius? Mm-hmm. It's not the parts that got bigger. It's the movies themselves. Or what did she, what did she say? <laughs> I'm gonna go on full on Sunset uh, Sunset Boulevard, Boulevard, but more like it's gonna be Southwest Boulevard. Boulevard. That's right. That's what it'll be. Yeah. <laughs> He'll be out there in some hose and a bra. Right? Or like frightening. It wasn't the tacos that got smaller. It was the appetites. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Good Lord. <laughs> so obviously, we gathered here to talk a little bit about Lucio Fulci's City of the Living Dead. Your choice and good yes. choice, by the way. Love so, some Fulci. And you've already talked about how kind of you've incorporated some of Fulci in your work. But do you remember your first initial interactions with any of his films? 
Uh, I do. It was uh, this movie called Zombie had been released, and they had this amazing trailer, right? It, I don't know what it was. It was on at the drive-in for like six months, and then finally the movie came. And back in those days, the drive-ins were so cool because a movie would play for a week or something, and then it would go, and you'd be like, God, I wish I could see it. And it'd come back in a, you know, a couple of weeks, or it'd come back the next summer. And Zombie played here several times. And I remember getting the movie poster even from the drive-in guy. I was like, dude, you gotta, you got to hook me up with this poster. I still have it. And they had barf bags, and it was just so cool. And <laughs> so we did barf bags for Neon. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, Fulci's, that movie um, was different to me than Romero's stuff. I always loved Romero. I loved his stuff. Mm-hmm. But this was kind of like Dawn of the Dead had been a hit. So a couple of years later, we get Zombie, maybe a year and a half. And um, I remember thinking, man, this is nothing like that. But it had this raw quality and the effects were just in when the the splinter goes into the chick's eye Mm -hmm. and then breaks off in there i flew out of the car and started running in circles i was like i i i I can't i can't unsee that i can never unsee that and uh you know and it's just that kind of thing with full and then what the hell he's got a shark fighting a zombie who does that it just just kept getting cooler and uh then it was weird because after that had played suddenly there's this movie at the Empire Theater, The Gates of Hell. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to go check this out. It has a cool poster. Let me go see it. Um, get down there, and it's another Fulci film, only this one is even crazier in a lot of ways. It's got more of a gothic kind of thing yes. going on. And, um, of course, that's City of the Living Dead around the rest of the world, but in America here it was Gates of Hell. And I had to go back and see that a couple of times. It was just really raw. And, I mean, again, Dude gets a drill through the head. I came flying off the chair. I was like, hey, this, is this really happening? Because no one did this stuff like this. I mean, these these were just like, oh, you think those movies will shock you? Wait until I get a hold of you. And, you know, we talked a minute ago about the girl that, man, she's sitting in the car. Her and Michaela Sovi, who's also a director, mm-hmm. are in the car. Uh, he did some great stuff, the church and everything. Mm-hmm. And so here he is, you know, sitting in the, and they're just like making out or whatever. And she looks up and the priest pops up and he, this priest is like a demonic uh. soul. And he's like, looks at her and her eyes start bleeding. And all of a sudden she makes these sounds and you're thinking, God, what is she like? What is she? Did she eat some bad stuff? She needs some Pepto. All of a sudden, blew her entire intestinal tract oh. is like blasting yeah. out of her mouth. But it's done in a, such a stylish way, and also they don't turn away. I mean, no, we sat there for fifty-two minutes watching this chunks and chunks and chunks and chunks, and you're going, "Wow, man, I don't know." If, and at the same time, the experience was so great for me because I'm at the Empire. And I remember I'm eating nachos, and I set my nachos down, and get a drink, and I go to get my nachos. They're gone. I'm like, "Where's the nachos?" And I look over, and there's like two rats taking my nachos. They're like cruising down the aisle with my nachos, and, and Kansas City rats in downtown. Are like the size of my 12 shoe right they're just as big as small cats and i'm like that's the coolest freaking thing that ever happened to me in a movie theater and then the next week i go and i see night of the zombies by bruno matai and some dude's diving off of the he's, he freaks out he goes oh hell no and he shoots off of the balcony and lands on the chairs below I'm what like, the fuck this was just oh an experience God. that's why i say it was like a grindhouse it was such an experience being there because you didn't know what the hell was going to happen on screen and off screen. <laughs> and so this like, and when I, when I hung out with Fulci, cause I, I, I went to the Fango con and Fulci was there. Uh, and that's where I got to meet my good friend Sage Stallone. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, dude, 
you know, I'm talking to Fulci about this, and he thought it was the best story about the gates of hell he had ever. He's like, that movie deserves that kind of a story. And, and we're, we're in the back of this theater where they're showing his movies, and, he, and he's and these people are like, shh, shh. And he's like, fuck them. <laughs> Stupid! I direct the movie. I fuck you. He was just like, you know, I was like, geez, because Fulci was just larger than life. Yeah, okay? and he was like everyone's favorite grumpy grandpa, and he was just the coolest guy, and he like signed all this stuff, and I'm like this, and I'm so enamored, you know. And and Sage and I are the same way. That's how we became such good friends because we were just like Fulci. We would lay on the ground and let Fulci use us as a freaking like walking, you know. Here, use us as your carpet if is what. Like, Come on, Fulci, you can walk on us. Because that's how much we loved Fulci, okay? And um, so years and years later, uh, that's that's one of the bonding. And Bill Lustig was the same way, uh, who did Maniac and you know, mil- oh, yeah. many, many, many movies. Uh, but William Lustig, that's where I met those cats was that weekend. And we stayed friends for all this time. And Sage and I were pretty tight. I'd go out to L.A., and every time I'd go out there, we'd go on the hunt for Fulci stuff. you know. But, and that's how I got to be friends with Eric over at a Hollywood book and poster. He passed away a few years ago. But Eric was amazing because you'd go over there and he'd be like, hey, man, I got some new Fulci in. And, oh, oh. That's why I got to talk to Tarantino. I'm off on a tangent. But Eric's Hollywood book and poster, everyone went there. And I was in there talking to him, trying to get some Russ Meyer stuff because he, he was directly connected with Russ Meyer's widow. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to get some stuff. And Tarantino comes in, and Tarantino's carrying this big box full of this stuff with, like, Pam Greer stuff and everything. And he and Eric knew each other, and they were friends. And he's bringing Eric this Pam Greer stuff because he knew Eric loved Pam Greer. And then it turned into a two-hour conversation with with Quentin Tarantino, (laughs) which isn't hard because Quentin Quentin is very excited by the genre and by everything. And he's amazing to talk to. And he's a walking dictionary of everything. So then we became friends enough. He called Kansas City. I was working at the Inglewood, and he, he needed some clips from a Wade Williams film. And I negotiated all that and got all that going. And in return, he gave me a blurb for Violent New Breed. So he watched Violent New Breed, and he's like, this is the coolest micro-budget movie I have ever seen. And he gave us a blurb, you know, the most ambitious micro-budget film ever made or whatever. And I was like, dude, thank you so much. But, Mm -hmm. yeah, because of – see, I go off on tangents. But it was all because of Fulci, really, that these things boiled and turned into this big thing for me. And my friendship with Sage Stallone led me to Jim Van Bever and Chaz Baitlin and all these guys that were – so influential, Chaz Balin was really, he was the unsung hero of the underground horror scene. Deep Red Magazine and all those things he put out, you know, the Gore Gazette and all that. Mm-hmm. With Rick Sullivan, he would do things with him. He did things with Gorezone. And it's because uh, Chaz Balin was, he knew all the stuff. He knew all of it, you know. So you would be like, man, I've never heard of this obscure. And at the time in the VHS business, movies at home and all these places had everything obscure yeah and so you'd you'd rent this stuff and you'd rent and you'd find out it's fulci and the minute i saw that name i was like okay gates of hell Mm -hmm. you got to you know got all these house by the cemetery on and on and on and on and on so even his cool conan like thing conquest hello the dude could do no wrong people mm -hmm. say well his later movies sucked i'm like whatever give me murder rock any day over this modern crap i'll take it yeah, it's it's ridiculous, and there's some bimbo dancing stuff that doesn't make any sense at all. 
I don't care. I'm going to watch Murder Rock, and I'm going to love it. Devil's Honey? Devil's sure. Honey, yes. Let's put her on a motorcycle naked with a saxophone. I'm watching that stuff. <laughs> well, that's what I love with a lot of his films, or even just kind of Italian films in general, yeah. is when it starts getting weird. Yeah. Going, it's, it's just it's, Italian. It's Italian. You know? it's Italian. Well, and the masterpieces, the beyond. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, that was Sage. Sage fought so hard. And Quentin Tarantino together to get that movie out because it was just butchered. I remember it playing here as Seven Doors of Death. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And weird. Well, the weird thing was Aquarius releasing, who also released like Doctor Butcher and all these. They never cut movies, but there was someone that got a hold of it and felt like it needed to be cut. And I'm not sure who, but the Beyond was just butchered. Probably Tipper Gore. Oh, Tipper Gore <laughs> was such a cool last name. What a jerk! Exactly. So, but yeah, and so I, you know, when the Beyond came here, it played in Kansas City in its full uncut form. Uh, years later, and I remember, you know, it was just, it was like the same summer, maybe one summer later than Dead Alive had played here, and uh, it, it, I just like passed out. I was like, this is, oh my god, it's like a whole different movie. And I had seen a work print of it Sage had sent to me on VHS, but it didn't do it justice. I mean, this was. Oh, my right. God. So now, you know, all these years later, people are spoiled. Oh, we mm-hmm. can just go down and order the Beyond off of Amazon. But, man, you couldn't do that mm-hmm. back then. So we had to take, you know, I mean, I remember going through hell trying to get the New York Ripper uncut. Yeah. You know, my God, man, it looked terrible. It was like 15th generation watercolor. It was like smeared because the VHS had been dubbed so many times. But it didn't matter because you're like, oh, my God. it's That's how guinea pig. I can tell you stories the, about but that. But the guinea pig, the whole, like, you're trying to get those from out off uh, out for other seas and then making sure the VHS is the right format. and on the, whole, the whole, like, you know, oh, this is actually like a snuff film shit going on. Well, my friend Chaz Balin gave a copy to Charlie ba- or Charlie Sheen while we were at lunch. Okay. Gives him a copy. Charlie Sheen takes it to a party. Everyone's crapping. Charlie's starting to freak out. He's thinking this is a real snuff film. The whole thing blows up. This was like such a 15th generation Japanese bootleg that the thing, because it was made in Japan, it was mm-hmm. basically a film, the, that first one, Flower, whatever. It was made by dudes who uh, basically were just showing what they could do for effects. And it didn't have a story. It's the samurai dude, you know. Yeah, it's so real. Right. But it was so... And even when it's less quality, it looked more, more real. real. Yeah. Uh, now and you, that you know, more snuff film. You get it on Blu-ray or something. From it's like, oh, you can see everything. From 4K. But right, yeah, right, you got yeah. a copy of a copy of a copy. And you're thinking, <laughs> is this Henry this, Porch? This is real. This, is, yeah. this really happened. And so Charlie freaked out. Next thing we know, the FBI is involved. Luckily... <laughs> Uh, Chaz Balin was able to get a hold of people over at Gore Gazette, Rick Sullivan, and everyone could get a copy of the behind the scenes, how they did it, because not only did they do the movie, but then they had a little behind the scenes to show people, this is how we did these effects. This is not real. Because they were trying to get jobs. They were like basically showing people what they could do. And so they go to court and, and thank God Chaz was able to get this tape and the whole thing got thrown out. But for a minute there. I thought my good buddy Chaz Balin was going to end up in jail oh because God. Charlie Sheen had a blowout on some kind of medication and thought it was real. And uh, But I was like right there when the whole thing went down, which was really weird for me. So. so speaking, like going back to weird theatrical experiences and bringing it back to uh, uh, the movie uh, City of the Living Hell or City of the Living Dead. Music. It's by not F- Kansas City. That's the city of living hell. That's right. That's city of living hell. Oh. <laughs> Music by Fabio Fritzi. Yes. Okay, let me. Okay. You were there the cat hole night. <laughs> Which is why we may not get Fritzy back in Kansas City. No, let me ask you this, Todd, because I only watched City of the Living Dead for the first time last year. Okay. And multiple times I was like, am I listening 
to the Goblin score is because Fabio Fritzi, it feels like there's a couple of tracks that he pulls that is very similar to one of them from Dawn of the Dead. And then there's another boom, one. Boom, yes. Boom, boom. But there's another one that he also does that it sounds, sounds like he's almost curbing off of his track from Zombie. And don't get me wrong. I love the score. But it just kind of stood out to me. Am I the only one that it kind of hit that in? Probably Fulci or someone involved. Maybe the uh, DeAngelis, the, the producer, somebody was like, hey, we like what you did here. Let's continue that theme. Mm-hmm. Because I'll tell you something cool about Fabio. That movie you're holding right there, House of Forbidden Secrets, Fabio Frizi did the entire score for that. Now, here's the weird part. I, I contacted Fabio, and I'm like, listen, man, I just want you to do the theme song. Can you do it? He said, well, send me the stuff. Send me a script. Send me the movie. He said, Fulci would be proud. He says, I'm going to do the whole movie. Oh. I about lost my <laughs> mind. So I got to work with him. And it was so weird because, you know, the time difference. I'm up anyway all night. But I would be on the freaking Skype at 3.30 in the morning with Fabio Frizi in Italy scoring this movie. Now, he was pretty much doing what he wanted. But he would give me ideas and just let me hear snippets. And we would discuss direction and he knew exactly what kind of what I wanted. And he did this fabulous score in the movie. There is a scene where they're in the brothel that it's a flashback in house of forbidden secrets. If you listen to that brothel scene, you hear the music from the beyond. Oh, nice. (laughs) And he did a, a variation of it for me. He did that because he felt like that jazz score would be really cool and fitting for a scene that takes place Brothel. in that in that time period, like the 40s. So he was like, yeah, check this out. It was like the late 40s, early 50s, uh, you know, the, <clears throat> the whole weird era in Kansas City based on real things that happened mm-hmm. here. And uh, <clears throat> so it was cool because he actually kind of went back and revisited that. And uh, so that's kind of Fabio's motif in a way. Uh, he likes to kind of, like if he works with someone and in, in that's, their motif together he lets the director kind of say hey man i like what you did here on this movie can we hit something similar to that for this feel because fulci was doing the whole zombie thing again in a different way like mm-hmm. in, in city of the living dead gates of hell the zombies aren't like in zombie Ghouls. right in yeah. zombie yeah. they're like um they they were created through voodoo like the old school zombies the, the zombie actually owes more to the old movies like i walked with a zombie uh, back in the day, the, the Lugosi flick, when things were, zombies were created by voodoo and things mm-hmm. like that, Serpent in the Rainbow kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Gates of Hell version of zombies is, like you say, more ghouls, more they're they're returning from the other side. I mean, they appear and reappear. They don't just crawl out of a grave, right. which they do also. But a lot of times they'll just like pop in and out. Like, here's Bob, and then there's Bob over there. What's he doing? <laughs> He's taking out my eye. So it's a pop, pop, pop. So they would like, because it was supernatural more, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, they were the living dead. They were like these spirits that could do you harm. And so it was kind of interesting because maybe they were popping between dimensions or whatever. When I was talking to Fulci about that, I was like, you know, what What are they doing popping in and out? Like, they goes, he goes, because you never know when the zombie going to get you, you know, kind of thing. And I'm like, well, you know, that's pretty cool because no one had done that before. Yeah. And uh, and that was during the time when he was, you know, after the success of Zombie in Italy, everyone's doing zombies. We had nine of the zombies. We had Dr. Butcher MD, which was basically zombies. And so he was like, my new zombie movie going to be a different. And he did. Yeah. He made it different. Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, a lot of that goes to the screenwriter, too. But they worked very closely together. And then the Beyond, 
it's kind of like a mix of every zombie you can imagine because those guys were also supernatural, but also crawling back from the dead, mm-hmm. tearing out yeah. of body bags, whatever. It was like breakfast at the Manchester morgue meets gates of hell kind of zombies, right? So I liked the seeing how he took, and if you listen to the soundtrack for all three of those, they are interconnected, to get back to your point. Mm-hmm. They have thematic things in those, because I have all three soundtracks, and there are thematic elements that tie together between all three of those, because of those that was the zombie trilogy for, for Fulci. That's what he was trying to achieve. And I think they did a hell of a job with it, too. Mm-hmm. Because if you notice, House by a Cemetery doesn't have Freezy. That's got another uh, composer who also does a very good job. Mm-hmm. Very good job. But it's And sometimes he gets a little Freezy-esque in there. But it's it's different. It's kind of a different, more piano-style thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he definitely has good collaboration with him. And it's, again, legitimately loved it. But it was one of those things that just didn't take me out of the film. But I'm like... That sounds a lot like. I felt bad for Bob in this movie <laughs> because, like, he's basically the local creep, you know? I mean, like, it, no matter what he does, everybody's going to blame Bob. I mean, and I guess that, like, kind of, it kind of reads to his character because the first time we meet him, he throws up that it's self-inflating, uh, the, the, the self-inflating the doll, love doll, yeah. right? And I'm like, oh, Bob, you crazy creep. I had that Bob burning off with my young daughter. And the whole time I'm thinking, like, okay, I hope Bob's not talking about young daughter, but like, no, she's like a high school with her flask of pot. And like, she's going around like, all right, I give little Bob a little bit more credit, you know, especially because he's Giovanni Radici. And so like, then to see him get drilled by an overzealous father was like, oh, damn, the mo- one of the most hardcore kills wasn't even done by a goddamn zombie. It was no, done. It was-, it was done by a regular human, and he wasn't even possessed well, by the... Yeah, the same thing with the, the priest thing. That wasn't a zombie either. He was right. a crazy priest up there with his demonic power. The zombies didn't do as much damage as like a... Just- but, you know, the, you know what's really weird? You, you brought up Giovanni Lombardo Redice, who's one of my favorite people, okay? Uh, we've been friends a while. And when I first got to know him and I first talked to him, I was so excited. My God, I was nervous. I don't get nervous very easily. Okay? But that's right. I was nervous <laughs> because I'm friends with his agent and I was able to finally connect with him. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And I was used to his voice because it's always dubbed in all these movies. You know, right. Invasion of the Flesh Hunters and all these movies, he's always dubbed. A cannibal, you know, apocalypse, that one. But he, he's, when he talked, he's like, hey, Todd, it's very good to talk to you. And I was like, oh. He has this incredible accent. He's got this really different voice than what I imagined. I really didn't like making this, uh, the make him die slowly, the cannibal ferox piece of shit. Piece of shit. Never. T- I don't even want to talk. That's, that was how it really was. And I was like, oh, wow. And it, it took me by surprise because I was like, I didn't, I'd expected Bob's voice. Or right. Guy. <laughs> so, but I tell you what, he is the coolest guy ever. He's an animal lover also. And we've gotten pretty close to working together. It's going to happen. And also, um, Catriona McCall, who yeah. is so amazing in Gates of Hell. She's so amazing in the Beyond and in House by the Cemetery. And she's a sweet lady. She lives in France. And I think I'm going to end up working with her. So I'm really, that's... because that's my dream. You know, everyone's mm-hmm. always, you know, who do you want, Todd? I want my, when I was asked that, my the first time I was ever able to actually work with a SAG actor, I wanted two people. I wanted Linda Blair and I wanted Rudy Ray Moore. Well, Linda had this whole problem with her agent who was taking all of her money at the time. Mm. She wasn't even going to make 20%. And so I was like, that's frustrating. So, and it was a mess and the agent was, so I was like, I'm done with that. Rudy, I just 
my, my good buddy who wrote Rudy Ray's new biography, by the way, uh, I just called him up. I said, hey, man, uh, I said, I want to get Rudy. He says, here, I'll connect you guys. I talked to Rudy on the phone. I'm like, Rudy, this is what I want. Rudy said, ah, oh, I can do that. I can get on that plane. I need to stay at the mule buck. I said, all right, done deal. Um, we made a deal. He came to Kansas City. It was a fantastic, fantastic moment. And uh, we became friends. We were friends for the rest of his days, you know, until he went to the uh, the assisted living. You know, it was hard to get a hold of him then. But even then, I talked to him a couple times. He was a very, very cool guy. And very, he could, the stories he could tell. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you one Rudy Ray Moore story. I know you guys are trying to go. You got to, oh, I got to tell you one Rudy Ray Moore story. <clears throat> we had him in town just first night he's here. We hadn't even filmed yet. Getting ready to film the next day. He's going over all of his stuff. He already had his script and everything. I'd sent it to him. <clears throat> this was days before internet. We had the internet, but not like this. Mm-hmm. And Rudy was not on the internet. <laughs> and so he, uh, he, you can mail me my script. So I did. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, he gets to Kansas City, <clears throat> and we're at the Mule Block, and he, uh, I drop him off and everything. I take him up to his room, make sure he's okay, if you need anything. Because I'm good. I'm just going to rest. Okay. I go back. I'm getting a phone call. In those days, you had voice pagers and stuff. Mm-hmm. Bleep, 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 bleep. This is the Mule Block Hotel. We need your calls back immediately. Okay. Oh, so I call no. him back. What's going on, man? Well, we got a problem. We got a problem. You, got, you know, I was told that you're the one that's handling this you know, room, whatever. Okay, yeah, yeah. We got this. Your 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 guest is in our bar, standing on tables. I said, what? <laughs> He's standing on tables. I don't know what the heck is going on, and it's really, I'm really concerned. So I'm, I'll be right there. So I'm racing downtown from up north here, going down Broadway. I get there. I'm like, oh god. I get inside. Manager meets me. Oh, it's okay, man. It's okay. Huh? I look in the room. Rudy has got the entire bar, which is packed, completely packed. He's doing a whole comedy routine. He pulled tables together for his stage. He's on top of this thing, and he's got everyone. He goes, it's fine, man. We're making more money at the bar than we've made in months. <laughs> True story. He's, he's like, we're making money off this hand over fist. He goes, just leave him. I watch the rest of what he's doing. He gets down, and I'm like, Rudy, did you have a good time? He don't even ask why I'm there. Did you enjoy it? I, well, hell yeah, I enjoyed it. Good times. We went back up to his room. He goes in. He takes a couple of drinks of water. And he's like, I am going to retire. And I'm like, well, I hope so. It's 2 in the morning. And we got to go film. So, so that was one of my Rudy Ray Moore stories. He, oh was, he was like that everywhere. That's goals. That's it's my goals. goals. That's goals for me in life. And I get old and up there, you know, I'm going to put on a show. Man, you go. I, I went out to L.A. I would always try to hook up with him and buy him dinner when I went to L.A. And one time I go out there and I go in and I'm like, hey, Rudy, you know, I'll pick you up, whatever. And I meet him. He says, I'll just walk down the street. And I went to this restaurant he picked and um, he brings LaWanda Page with him. Okay. Aunt Esther. And that was another. They had the entire place in stitches, (laughs) those two. And because it was like, wow, they would feed off of each other. And I'm just over there, this nerdy white boy going, this is the most amazing thing I've ever experienced in my life. And those are old school comedians. Old, those are oh, the ones that it. know how to work a room. They they were, they. you know, it was like, I, I felt like, geez, you know what, I'm giving a tip. And the waiter's like, you don't really need to give me a tip. I've enjoyed all of this. <laughs> I was like, no, I'll, I'm going to give you a double tip because you had to deal with all of us. We're insane. And uh, but that's that's the kind of guy Rudy was. He was the life of the party, and he 
uh, he appreciated the people that loved him so much. And that's, that taught me every time you work with someone like that, you learn, man, it really humbles you because you're seeing this guy who's seen it all and who's experienced things in his life that you'll never experience hardships and walls in front of his face that he broke through. And man, you just hear his stories and it makes you cry. Then you're like, and look what it did it made him so strong. You know, it was so great. Well, the same thing can be said about you, man, out of all the things <laughs> that you've yeah. done, out of the things that you've overcame out of, uh, and the things, the things that you've accomplished and the art that you've made, the same thing can be said about you, man. You are truly a Kansas city art tour. I appreciate that, man. I'm, I don't know. <laughs> I, I tried to, I, my goal was to put Kansas City on the horror movie map. Mm-hmm. That's all I really ever wanted to do was uh, entertain people and, uh, and grow as a filmmaker. And I think, you know, if we all do that, we're going to get along. I'd love to work. My thing is, dude, I'll work with anybody. I really will. I don't have, there's no walls. There's no barriers. Anyone that gives it a chance. Like I go, I kind of get a little discouraged because I go to different meetings in town or whatever. And I just see these people that are so... God, they're just clicks everywhere in Kansas mm-hmm. City, patting each other on the back. And I'm not putting anyone down. I'm just being honest. Yeah. You know, I'm like, what, what are you doing? Let's all work together. What is right. this click thing? What are you doing over here? Why is you guys, you know, I, I even put on some film festivals and, the, and these guys that won wouldn't even talk to me. It was so weird because I'm that guy. I'm that shitty horror guy from the, you know, I'm like, yeah, maybe, but you only watched one of my movies. 30 years ago or more, mm-hmm. you know, I'm coming up on the 30th anniversary of zombie bloodbath in, in, in 2023 before that, those older movies like from 89 and 90, that's sometimes the only movie of mine that anyone would even watch locally. And I'm still getting called out on those. And I'm like, dudes, that was 40 years ago. Right. Oh my Lord. I mean, give me a Jesus. Don't we all grow as people? But yeah, you know, you can't force people to give you another chance. That's your chance, buddy. And you lost it. So I get it. I, you know, I live with that. But uh, but I'm glad you're still, I'm glad you're getting the recognition and love. You well, know? I, I get it outside of Kansas City. You yeah. guys you guys doing this made me so happy because I felt like, hey, some of my bros locally, I'm going to be able to do something locally that's cool. Well, and honestly, this was a long time coming. Very much <laughs> this so. This was a long time coming. <laughs> we've, we've, been, we've been talking about getting, on, getting you on the show for the longest time. I know, it's true. and But, you know, it, like, it was weird because when Antoine started doing these theatrical tours like we take the movie to film festivals you know we took house in secret and played it in every theater we could find in america and um other movies too you know we have premieres in los angeles it's weird we'll go out to los angeles on a friday night blew my mind with three weeks notice and we'll have a premiere for bone hill road or clownado and there'll be like these 700 800 seat theaters and we'll we'll sell most of it out on a friday night in los angeles it's just weird to come home and to be talked to about like you're some kind of a piece of junk. I, I was at an actual screening for the IFC, true story. I produced a short film. You guys were in it. It was Amanda's short film. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Crawler. Mm-hmm. They were showing this at this IFC horror thing, right? It was a Halloween event. I'm sitting there with these two women behind me. My name comes on, and I am listening to what a piece of shit I am. Listening to how I'm a porno filmmaker, listening to how all these bad things about me. And I turned to him, I just smiled. They didn't even know who I was. And so then afterwards, I was like, hey, they're like, hi, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was, I was like, I didn't catch your name. I said, Todd Sheets. Oh, boy. I'm the bad, nasty asshole porn filmmaker. And they just like looked like they saw a ghost. <laughs> because I'm like, well, how did I? I mean, I know, like, there were times when. 
when I, like I said, during that small period of my life when I was very young and I got an ego, I told a few people off because they were mean to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also a time when IFC started where a couple members that were one of the founding members, one of the guys had stole my equipment and took it to a pawn shop. And the other guy blew up my generator. So I wasn't the friendliest of guys to that. Right. Um, but I didn't put the guy in jail, and I could have. So I didn't. I just got my gear back. But, but uh, you know, a lot of people talk. I remember the IFC having these meetings at a coffee shop in Westport. And these people were just spending the whole time dogging me out for an hour. I wasn't even there. Some friends of mine were there. They come back and say, man, you know, the IFC meeting just was nothing but trash tot. I said, well, that either means I'm doing something right or people are really pissed at me for something. So I went down there and walked in the middle of the room, and I was like, this was about a month later. I said, all right, here I am. Hit me with it. What did I do? What have I done to any of you that's so bad? And people shit their pants, you know? So, yeah, it's weird because when I'm outside of the city and when my team is outside of the city, there's appreciation. A lot of times, and I, I remember one time I was just, I was on cold medicine. It was not a good idea. I was on cold medicine, and I got on the Facebook, and I sent Jill a message. How do you get people to love you? And when I saw her, I go, I'm really sorry. And she goes, it's okay. I said, no, you're my friend. I'm really sorry. I was on cold medicine, which is true. I don't do drugs at all. I don't even drink. I've never done anything. I'm a nerd. I don't smoke. I don't do anything. So when I took the cold medicine, it wasn't very good for me. And uh, and I also sent Gary the message. And Gary said, he and I had a good laugh about it. But And the only thing is, I don't want the recognition for me. Mm-hmm. I don't care. Like I said, I don't have an ego. It's for all the freaking people who have worked on these movies. I've had 50, 60, 70 people on the crew and the cast. And I mean, Clown Nato alone, I had 30 people in the cast. I mean, I want those guys to get a little bit of respect mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. That's all I really want. I mean, I know we're not making like Lawrence of Arabia, but our stuff is distributed worldwide, for God's sakes. We are getting, we have, I mean, our stuff's on Entertainment Tonight. No one's out there saying, hey, I saw your stuff on Entertainment Tonight. Like, come on, dudes, give a little love to these guys because they work hard. Yeah. I mean, then we're doing this for nothing. These guys are so hardworking. But I bet you Clownado is somebody's favorite fucking movie <laughs> it of is. all I fucking time. I don't know. I, well, and that's the yeah. best part. You can almost guarantee that any one of your titles, someone out there, that is their movie. And they're the <laughs> ones that are defending you on the Reddit subreddits. You know, I would say this, Todd, it seems like you guys are more like the jazz musicians from the 40s and 50s that weren't appreciated here in the States. Right. But the minute they went overseas, people understood it. And I think maybe a lot of it has to do with the fact that people outside of this area know the hard work that goes on with that and can appreciate it. Well, and yeah, also, maybe. Yeah, yeah, and also, like, you know, it's hardcore shit. You it know, is. It's, it's a lot of, it's guts and gore. It's not any Merchant Ivory film. Right. It's and in your face. Yeah. we're still very... Uh, conservative, very yeah. puritanical, middle of the Bible Belt area. This is like the buckle or something. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty crazy here. That's... You're right. We've had a lot of our share of that, for sure. And yeah. but it's for me, it's just, you know, I'm fine with whatever happens. I love making movies. Yeah. And I love working with so many local people that are just good people here. So many good people that deserve everything, you know. It's just so cool. It's just so cool to experience someone being entertained. And the audience being entertained and people screaming and laughing. And I'll tell you one thing, man. Adam is amazing at the screen lane. And every time we hold a premiere there, we do pretty well. We almost sell that sucker. We have sold it out a few mm-hmm. times completely. Mm-hmm. And that's because Adam and, and I, we get out and promote it. And we yeah. got a following, which is really weird. So I'm always like, you know, there's people here that love it too. Mm-hmm. 
we don't hear about it. You know, we, we don't get any coverage anymore. But there are people in Kansas City that love what we're doing. Yeah. And and that and a, unfortunately, a lot of that, you know, it does feel good to an actor that's a local actor for people to love something that they did. Well, speaking know? of, I was honored to be able to host Moonchild. Oh, yeah. At yeah. the Alamo. I remember and that. And you brought Augie. Yeah. Yeah, the that was man. rad. Yeah. The main man. Yeah, he's he's amazing. And uh, wait till you see this Blu-ray. Jesus, it's got like three versions of the film, and it's got Augie's on there doing a commentary. It's just amazing what they're going to do. This whole set, they're, they're re-releasing all the stuff from the whole catalog. It's nice. Like, wow, it's going to be, it's it's. It's insane. I can't believe it's happening, but it's going to happen. Wild Eye Releasing is putting all those out. Nice. So it's going to be big. And uh, and again, you know, I, I have to thank you guys. I have to thank all the local people who pour their heart and soul into these things with me. You know, who go on these adventures with me every every <laughs> freaking every time we step out and we do another one. It's like a new ride. Let's hope it doesn't break down in the middle because we're going to have to fix it as we go. But you know what? We did like Clownado. Man, it was hard. A bit off way more than I could chew with the budget we had. I had to teach myself how to do those tornado effects. I didn't have anyone to do them. Uh, I was going to have a friend of mine do them, and I felt too bad because I couldn't pay him. He does like stuff for the sci-fi channel and stuff, and I was like, I can't do this to Tony. He's, he's not going to make any money. So I, I had to learn to do it all myself. And you know what? Damn it, we did it. We did it. We pulled it off. I don't yeah. know how. It, it holds together. That's all I can say. It's it's it's. It's something else, guys. I don't know. And that's the great thing. No matter what anybody says, no matter like, oh, this is this or that's that or it could be this or it could be that. The fact of the matter is you did it. Oh, yeah. We got it done. You got it done. You made it. You did it. I I think halfway through, like, the coaster jumped the rails and we had to drag it back on a couple of times. (laughs) Hey, but the ride went on and everybody had fun. Everyone made it to the end safely. That's the the important thing. No, you guys, you guys, I want to thank you for what you do locally. You know, a lot of people don't understand how important it is what you do locally. You guys, Adam, you know, everyone involved, uh, Tim, everyone involved. I used to love it when Jill and, and, and Gary did those awesome Slaughter, Slaughter Movie, movie Night. night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love those. And um, and they did us a solid. They had us come down and premiere some movies. They were so great. I love you guys, man. You guys keep it alive. And you're bringing attention to movies that no one sees. And the Panic Fest and the things that Adam does all year long and the way you guys are out there. I see you everywhere. You guys are there. You guys are giving up time. You're not making a million dollars doing this. You're doing this because you love it, man. And you're bringing people to the table. And what you do is so important. I'm telling you, it is. I will say it like Dolomite. What you do is fucking important. Because you guys, you guys really do matter. You really fucking matter. This city was dead. There was nothing here. Uh, nobody was doing anything. I was feeling like, man, is there ever going to be a film thing at all again? And you guys did it. You know, that this group, this strong-ass group of you guys, every time I see you, I feel like I just walked home, you know? You guys did a great thing. Dude, oh my God! See, I'm getting all the clumped over here. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> We're the, usually the ones like waxing the car. We're well, not used to the. I will say this, and I've said it from the get go. I am very, I feel very fortunate just even doing this podcast because right. I met genius. I met you, Todd. I would not have probably met you individuals if it not were doing this, and right. it's really brought in my whole world to a larger presence as the socially awkward introvert. So, also, man. Thank you. Like, 
Mm-hmm. Sincerely, thank you. Yeah, we've been waiting 300 plus episodes to get you on. Well, and, and we're not going to wait another 300. And I also realized I want to just like just hit record and let you just tell us stories because I felt like I could have been over here eating nachos and maybe battling with certain rats potentially. But fuck all that noise, dude. I my could... legs kind of went up a little bit when I was hearing that story. I was like, uh. <laughs> I love Grindhouse and 42nd Street as much as the next person, but goddamn it, I don't want a bunch of rats stealing my nachos. I, I actually was. I I actually went there before it was all Disney. I actually went to 42nd Street when it was still 42nd Street. When it was dangerous. Nice. Yeah, I was I was very young and it was very scary. And I loved every freaking minute of it. It was great. Well, I think it's fair to say that you're Kansas City's hand in lotter. <laughs> I'm something. Str- I'm, I know Frank. He's a good guy. He's a good guy. That's good. That is good. So again, sincerely, Todd, thank you for number one, taking the time out to talk to us. Um, and again, obviously, if you've got Amazon Prime, be on the lookout for the super sleek, sleazy 70s action here that's going to be coming up. I'm really excited And about make that. sure you check out, if you're at Walmart, get the Clown Nado. Yeah, yeah B- B- Bone Hill Road, Clown Bone Nado, Hill Road, Clown Nado. Final yeah. Caller, those will all be there. Mm-hmm. They're all available everywhere. Hell, I might even sign a copy of Clown Nado for you. My that's two right. Se- my two-second scene. <laughs> that's right. Now, see, when Genius signs it, it'll be worth some money. When I sign it, it's, it, it, it deflates. It goes down. Well, also, we'll say this. If you would like, you can also bring a bottle and bash Genius when he signs the poster Just for you. Just talk of the sugar glass. Because if it's like, oh, is that hardcore? Like, if it's those, like, Polish water bottles, no. But if... <laughs> Lord help us. Guys, it's been a privilege. Thank you. Sincerely, thank thank you. you. So next week, we are going to be continuing our uh, celebration of all things local. Technically, we were going to be releasing our Game of Games Mm -hmm. from the Panic Film Festival. And then in the end of the month, actually, we do have two episodes that are going to be kind of special. Yes. You know what we're talking about. So until that... You know what it's for. It's for listening. Mm -hmm. And until that time, this is Greg D. I'm Genius McGee. And we'll see you in your dreams. (laughs) 